You're listening to MoCast, the official podcast of Mo.gov. Whether it's news, upcoming events, or information on state services, we've got you covered. In this episode of MoCast, we'll be discussing flooding in response to earlier this March when many Missouri counties were impacted by devastating flooding. With us in the studio to help kick off our discussion is Karen McHugh, the state NFIP coordinator with SEMA. Karen, we appreciate you coming in and speaking with us. Thank you for inviting me, Eric. To start off, can you just describe what floodplain management is? What do you guys do in that section? Well, the state of Missouri participates in the National Flood Insurance Program, that I like to call it the NFIP, and Executive Order 9803 establishes our floodplain management regulations. Floodplain management staff, and there's three of us, work with our 675 NFIP participating communities. We help them to remain compliant with NFIP regulations. Last quarter, we assisted over 276 separate communities in Missouri. And we also hold NFIP training, workshops throughout the year, and we make a lot of community assistance contact visits out in the field. And we also work with non-participating communities, helping those communities to understand how important the program is. So you had cited the executive order there that kind of created all that. I'm guessing that was brought about by all the recent flooding that Missouri has had? Well, actually, uh, that was enacted in 1998. Okay, well, when I said recent, I meant like within the last, you know, some years, because we've had a lot of flooding in the past Mm -hmm. 10, 15 years or so. Yeah, it was brought about by the 93 and the 95 flooding. Okay. Part of the floodplain management, you guys, with the insurance, you guys help protect people and and property. What are some of the ways you guys go about doing that? By regulating development, by regulating new development, and helping our communities with their substantial damage responsibilities after an event such as right now with the flooding event that that is currently taking place in Missouri, participating communities have to do a substantial damage evaluation on all structures that were impacted by the flooding. And with the recent flooding that happened or that started happening in March, what has your guys' office been kind of doing? Kind of give us a play-by-play of like, when the flooding happens, what, what is your mm-hmm. guys' course of action when that happens? Well, the first thing we, we do is we have to establish who exactly has been flooded. And uh, once we determine in the county and then the communities within the county that have been impacted, we have to decide which ones participate in the National Flood Insurance Programs and which don't. And once we establish the participating communities, we start calling the communities to see if they need our help with their substantial damage evaluations. We've put together a 2019 flood damage assessment packet that we send out to the communities, and we also send them lots of NFIP information, brochures and things like that. How is this recent flooding, you know, stacking up or comparing to past flooding. Is that even something you guys do or is it just like a flood is a flood? You guys, you know, do your thing regardless of the severity and is the severity, does that kind of play into it in any way? Well, no matter what kind of flooding there is, whether it's presidentially declared or not, if a community that participates in the National Flood Insurance Program has had flooding, then we have the same process in place. This flooding event reminds me a little bit of 1993, where it just 
you know, things kept developing. So this is an ongoing flooding event. So when we're looking at the flood plain insurance that's not like homeowners insurance that's not like an individual insurance Mm -hmm. can anybody like use this or is it enacted in special cases any entity a town a village a city uh, that can adopt and enforce a floodplain management ordinance can join the national flood insurance program and once a community has joined the program anyone in their community that lives within the jurisdiction of the city or the town can purchase NFIP policy. So when we're looking at this flooding event and, you know, the number of people who are affected by the flooding up there, uh, a lot of these people, they want their homes fixed, they want their property replaced and whatnot. I would imagine there's some confusion. I mean, there would be confusion on my end. Uh, Does my homeowner's insurance cover this? Do I need this special policy? How, I mean, how does that all get worked out? Yeah. Very good question. A community that participates in the National Flood Insurance Program, anyone that lives in the jurisdiction of that community, for example, within the corporate limits of a city, anyone can purchase a National Flood Insurance Program policy. And the NFIP is a single peril policy, and it only covers damage caused by flood. And a standard homeowner's and renter's insurance does not cover damage from flooding. Okay, so it's really important yes. to, to have this. Those who didn't have it, the flooding has come in, mm-hmm. now my home is flooded. Are they kind of out of luck at that point, or can they still get involved with the program? Well, a community that doesn't participate can always work with my staff and I to join the NFIP. Uh, if you live in a community that participates, you can always purchase an NFIP policy. But if you don't have a policy, active policy in place, at the time, at the start of the flooding event, then you're going to have to wait and see if it's a presidential declaration and see if SBA is is gonna be able to issue a small business loan to repair the damage that's happened to your home. Very important to have NFIP insurance in place. And we always say wherever it can rain, it can flood. So just because your house is not in a mapped high hazardous area, which was also known as the 1% annual chance floodplain, better known as the 100-year floodplain, you can purchase an NFIP policy. About 24% of the policy claims that were made in the last flooding event were from areas to moderate to low-risk areas. Uh, So what is this current flooding situation looking like on your end? How many, what are like the numbers? How many people have you seen have are using the the insurance policy NFIP mm-hmm. and how many of them are kind of oh wait we didn't have it now what the numbers that I'm are they are of course still being collected right and the last numbers that I sent were several hundred people that have NFIP policies that have made claims for those who are covered when they need to use it uh, is there anything that special they need to know is there some kind of extra special thing that they have to do or is it hey we're covered you guys are gonna handle it Well, the first thing that we recommend is uh, that people take photographs of damage and then get with their insurance agent. They're right from the company that issued them the flood insurance policy. Okay. So kind of standard issue, any other, what you would do in in any other insurance claim situation. Yes. Kind of going into kind of, you know, long form forecasts for lack of a better term. 
we're in spring, it's going to continue to rain, those flooding is probably going to get worse. How does that progression affect your guys' office? Yeah, of course, when it floods, it, our workload gets a lot heavier, uh, but we continue to watch as the flooding progresses, going across the middle of the state and hitting St. Charles County and, and everything north and south on the Mississippi River. Uh, we keep a close eye on it, and occasionally we'll get word that a new community, a new county has flooded, and then we make contact with that community. When the conversation of flood prevention comes up, are you guys mm-hmm. involved in, in that in any way, trying to find ways to kind of minimize flood impact mm-hmm. and, you know, perhaps stop flooding in certain areas that are prone to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. What we do is we help communities understand and regulate new development. When someone comes into a community that participates in the National Flood Insurance Program and they want to build, let's just say, a new residential structure in the floodplain, that lowest floor has to be at or above the base flood elevation and many communities adopt a higher standard and they'll say they regulate to one foot above or maybe two feet above the base flood elevation. So that lowest floor is protected from the next 100-year flooding event or that 1% annual chance flooding event. Existing structures that are in the floodplain, some of those older homes that we call pre-firm homes, when they are damaged, they're usually built at grade, and when they are damaged by a flooding event, then the substantial damage evaluation takes place. And if they're damaged more than 50% of the market value of the structure, then they have to bring it into compliance it's either gonna have to be elevated or removed from the special flood hazard area. Unless Uh, it's a non-residential structure, then it can be dry flood proofed. Okay. Uh, Is there anything in in flooding in general or the insurance program that you think people should know about? Just to make sure that you have a flood insurance policy in place. And if you are in a community that participates in the National Flood Insurance Program before you do any development, and development is defined as any man-made change, be sure and go to your community's floodplain administrator for a floodplain development permit, because all development must be permitted. If you have any questions, please contact us. Um, You can call the main number, which is 573-526-9100, or you can call me at 573-526-9121, or you can check out our website at sema.dps.mo.gov and go to the floodplain management section website. It's pretty awesome. To close out our flood discussion, we spoke over the phone with Mark Fuchs, the senior service hydrologist with the St. Louis Weather Service Office, which is a part of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, also known as NOAA. To start off, if you wouldn't mind, Mark, just tell us a little bit about what you do for NOAA. I basically manage the hydrology program for the office. And so all the, uh, the flash flood warnings, the flood warnings, uh, everything that has to do with the rivers, drought, really anything that has to do with water resources and water levels around our area uh, essentially comes down to me. I'm also responsible for getting out and either establishing or uh, modifying flood stage, or moderate and major flood stage, evaluating impacts at every gauge, making sure the staff is trained on hydrology issues and on software that keeps coming into the office, the, the, the newer software. Maintain our database and maintain the, uh, the website 
for all the rivers, and that's that covers most of it, I think. Uh, that sounds like quite a task, especially when you think about all the waterways Missouri has, including, I mean, two very big ones, the Missouri and the Mississippi rivers. Absolutely. Uh, the Missouri and the Mississippi, both uh, two of the bigger rivers uh, in our country. And, yeah, it, it, there's never a dull moment, and especially lately. You know, I, I arrived here in 2007, and shortly after getting here, we had 2008. That was a year of historic flooding. And I thought, well, we probably won't say anything quite that bad for a while. <laughs> I don't know if I actually said that, but I was thinking it. And, yeah, well, we had 2010, 2011, 2013 was awfully high in many areas. And then we had New Year's Day of 2016, right after uh, Christmas and into the new year, some horrific flooding in the Merrimack River Basin and along parts of the Mississippi and Missouri, record-setting flooding, all-time record flooding that we've never seen, shutting down interstates uh, into and out of St. Louis. That was quite the event. And then just about 16 months later, we had another similar historic flood in late April and early May of 2017. So there hasn't been a lot of breaks in that past 12 years. It's been pretty busy. So when we're talking about flooding, what is NOAA's role when it comes to these kinds of events? Well, we're responsible for the protection of life and property, ultimately. We're supposed to put out warnings when streams and rivers get up to heights that will affect human activity, and sometimes those heights can actually send streams and rivers into you know people's businesses and homes, and of course that's when it gets to uh, be major. So we try to give people basically as much notice as, as humanly possible that threatening uh, river levels and stream levels are going to be in their area. To be able to do that, I'm guessing NOAA needs to be able to predict weather patterns. When you're trying to make those predictions, is flooding something that is considered? And more importantly, can floods be predicted? Yes, uh, absolutely floods can be predicted, and, and that's essentially what we do on a, on a daily basis. Everything that we do in the hydrology sector of the Weather Service is to enhance our ability to predict floods and to give people as much notice as we can give them that their lives are about to be disrupted for one way or the other, whether it's you know roads being closed and they can't get to work like they usually can, or their home or their business may be threatened and they may need to move, or there may be streams or smaller creeks that, that are coming up very quickly and they need to get out of harm's way so they don't get swept up in a flash flood. All these things are things that we consider basically on a daily basis. We have two river forecast centers. Well, actually, take that back. We got uh, have four different river forecast centers uh, across the state of Missouri that serve different parts of the state. And these RFCs are responsible for putting out forecasts along both the major rivers and the smaller rivers when flooding threatens them throughout the state. Those uh, river forecast centers are located in Tulsa, Oklahoma, down in Slidell, Louisiana for the lower Mississippi River, over into Pleasant Hill, Missouri, just south of Kansas City, that's for the Missouri River Basin, and up in Chanhassen, Minnesota for the upper Mississippi part of our area. There's a lot of folks that are focused on our state trying to get us the the best information possible. Obviously, there's a good deal of science behind getting that information. Can you talk about how that is done and how accurate are those predictions? Well, the predictions are getting more accurate every year I'm here. It's really amazing. We've uh, seen the river forecast centers put out forecasts much as a week or more in advance of significant flooding and come very close 
uh, sometimes within a few inches of uh, really nailing how high that water is going to get. Obviously, never not every forecast is perfect. We do bust forecasts every every now and then. But for the most part, our forecasts are, are trending in a positive direction, and we, we are getting better information out to the public. The way we do this is through modeling. We uh, have both hydrologic modeling that looks at the entire basin and uses a, what we call a unit hydrograph to project how high the river in a, in a smaller stream may get. And, and we route the river water from one point to the next downstream point to accurately get the next river site forecast correctly. We also mix that with hydraulic modeling that takes into account backwater. It takes into account variations in stream flow uh, across the channel. And we use both types of modeling to help us with difficult forecast situations, particularly when it involves backwater nearby the Mississippi, for example. Places like Arnold, Missouri, and Fenton, Missouri, have a lot of backwater from the Mississippi, and they're having some flood issues right now as we speak because the Mississippi is so high. Meanwhile, places further upstream from there, like Eureka, Missouri, or Pacific, don't have those backwater issues in their forecasts using more traditional uh, modeling as well. When it comes to modeling, how are you guys piecing those together? Is it based off of past history or patterns that you guys are drawing conclusions off of? I mean, how does the modeling work? The modeling operates essentially off of a, a soil moisture model. That's one component of several components that the overall model system uses. What that soil moisture model does is project when a rain event takes place in a particular basin. Say, for example, the Merrimack River at, or nearby Steelville, Missouri, uh, just as an example, it takes into account the entire upstream area from Steelville and gets an average rainfall based on observed rain gauges in that basin and how much rainfall we're expecting over the next 24 to 48 hours. And we'll get average rainfall amounts over six-hour time intervals. Once we figure that out, we take that rainfall and run it through the soil moisture model and that soil moisture model uses the rainfall as input and comes out with an output of runoff. How much of that runoff is going to run into the river quickly, what we call direct or surface runoff, the type of runoff you might get from parking lots or uh, streets or roofs. Rain falls on top of your roof at home. It goes into the, the gutter and then comes out of the storm drain. Many times it will end up going into a uh, nearby public storm drain or storm sewer system and empty out into a nearby stream or creek. And that's called direct runoff because it basically goes direct from your, your roof and the roofs in your neighborhood uh, into that particular stream, along with all the rain that comes off of parking lots and streets. Then we have uh, runoff that goes into the ground and then comes into the channel as interflow. And then there's uh, a third type of runoff that we call base flow. That's the, the water that goes deep into the soil and comes out in nearby springs. That is the type of runoff that will feed a stream during drought. When the stream is quite low, that might be the only thing that's, that's keeping uh, water flow in that stream is uh, base flow and feeding off of nearby springs, common across much of Missouri. It sounds like there's a lot of factors in science that goes into these models to make sure that they're accurate. It is. It takes, it takes a lot to get the models to correctly emulate nature. And that's, of course, the, the ultimate goal. We're trying to have the models reproduce what nature does 
uh, on a daily basis. That takes quite a bit of calibration. And, and the folks at the river forecast centers throughout the state of Missouri, much of their work is involved with calibrating these models and making sure when we need them to work accurately, which is a daily job, that they're actually able to reproduce what we're seeing in nature. So what we do and the way we calibrate it is we take a look at, you, you mentioned historic rain events. We'll take a look at those historic rain events going back 20, 30, or more years and see how the model parameters react in a specific basin and then tweak those parameters so that we get, when we say we have a certain amount of rain on a particular day, that that rain actually produces the kind of river crest that we historically have. And that takes a lot of work, and it can be very frustrating because once you think you have one parameter right, maybe another parameter kind of needs needs more tweaking because maybe you overcompensated in one area, and it it, it can be it's not easy. <laughs> I've done that before when I used to work at the uh, Southeast River Forecast Center down in Georgia. I certainly don't envy that job. It sounds like you just said quite frustrating, and I'm sure it's stressful as well. I mean, rolling into our next question here, as you know, we recently had flooding here in Missouri. Uh, Just a bit ago, you listed off numerous flooding situations we've had in recent years. When you look at this recent flooding, do we know what the major cause was? Well, there's two major rivers that affected Missouri significantly with flooding uh, over the past few weeks. The biggest one, of course, was in northwest Missouri, and that was historic. Flooding that we've never seen before. We didn't even see the river in Missouri, on the Missouri River, get this high during the flood of 93 from St. Joseph northwestward up toward uh, Nebraska. That was an incredible flood, and it was the result of essentially three things. First of all was a significant amount of snowpack and ice pack that was sitting on the ground. And within that snow and ice pack, we had between two and four inches of water. That is, if you melted all the snow and ice, you had about two to four inches of just pure water sitting on top of the ground waiting to melt. Couple that with the fact that we ended up with three to four inches widespread rainfall across eastern Nebraska into eastern South Dakota and western Iowa and into a part of northwest Missouri. Couple that with the fact that the ground across Nebraska and western Iowa was still frozen back in the second week of March. And so you had, you had the rain, you had the snow melt. When you add the rain and the snow melt together, you had essentially five to nine inches of water on top of a ground that was not going to receive it. It was basically like a large parking lot throughout the eastern part of Nebraska and western Iowa, and all that water essentially went straight into the stream channels, overwhelming them in a very short period of time. And so not only did the Missouri flood, but the Platte River and quite a few smaller tributaries across eastern Nebraska and western Iowa saw flooding that we've never seen before. And that ended up propagating into uh, northwest Missouri and and gave uh, places from St. Joseph to the northwest issues that they've never seen before. So it was truly historic and record-setting flood in those areas. On the other side of the state, the Mississippi River's uh, been in flood for quite a while. Nothing quite that historic, but just about a, a week or so ago, we had flood crest on the Mississippi that ranked in the top seven of all time in the northeast part of the state, essentially from Winfield northwestward to places like uh, Louisiana and Hannibal, on up to Canton, Missouri. Those places had substantial flooding, and that was all the result primarily of some rain events, but primarily snowmelt. There was a, a bunch of snow across Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, and uh, northern Illinois this past winter, 
and it's been melting over the last uh, a month or so. But even as we speak, we're still getting snow across parts of uh, Minnesota and, and the Dakotas and into Wisconsin, and they could be seeing as much as one to two feet across much of that area. So winter's not quite finished with that part of the Mississippi Basin yet, and all that water's got to come south eventually. So we're going to have to deal with it in northeast Missouri uh, for quite a while. I'm glad you cited those other states and the weather that is happening there because that leads me into my next question. When people look at their daily or weekly weather forecast, they're probably just looking at the area that they live in and they're not thinking about weather that is happening north of us that can impact us later on. Can you talk a little bit about how weather outside of our state can impact us here in the state? Well, today is an absolute perfect example of that. We're having this interview on Wednesday the uh, the 10th, and on this particular date, it's beautiful across much of Missouri. Lots of sunshine, you know, no big deal. It's, uh, it's a very pleasant day. It's going to be a fairly warm day with temperatures getting well up into the 70s statewide. However, we have a massive storm going on across the Dakotas and parts of Nebraska on up into northern Iowa, southern uh, Minnesota, and into much of Wisconsin. And that is producing not only some heavy rain in, in the southern end of that storm, but uh, like I said, very heavy snow in the northern part of it. And all of that is going to be felt by not just the Mississippi River, but the Missouri River as well. Both rivers are going to be coming up over the next uh, few weeks as a result of that one significant precipitation and early spring event. Speaking of spring, how do you foresee the situation progressing with continued spring rains? It's not the best news, unfortunately. We are... Uh, looking at the outlooks that come out of the Climate Prediction Center pretty routinely. They put out a 6- to 10-day outlook, an 8- to 14-day outlook. Both of those actually are showing an above-average chance of above-normal precipitation across uh, the entire state of Missouri, especially eastern Missouri. And even when you get beyond that into the month of uh, April, it looks like you know our best likelihood for April is to see above-normal precipitation for the month. We look at these outlooks, and what they provide is three categories, either above normal, near normal, or below normal. What the outlooks do is say what the most favored category is, and it it tells you what that that probability of seeing that particular category might be. So we're not looking at an extreme likelihood of above normal precipitation, but we are looking at the most favored category being just that above normal precipitation across Missouri for the month of April and for the three months that include April, May, and June. Those three-month outlooks extend out into the summer as well. And if you look at the outlook for May, June, and July, unfortunately that above normal anomaly or probability remains with this part of the country and much of the country throughout the summer. So we're going to have to deal with this high water threat for quite some time, I'm afraid. I'm glad you mentioned summer because my next question was going to be, what is the expected outlook for summer? And you just answered that, so I I thank you. When it comes to finding ways to prevent flooding, are the predictions in climate and weather changes that NOAA does, is that used in that effort? Uh, What we do in the Weather Service is focus not so much on the decadal changes that climate change encompasses, but we're more focused on the near term the days and weeks ahead. We do look, we do seasonal outlooks, certainly, but uh, we really don't uh, get much beyond that. So climate change is something that usually d- dealing with timescales of years and decades more so than, than weeks and months. 
We're in that time of year that carries the possibility of severe storms. What are some things Missourians should keep in mind when it comes to weather preparedness? You know, the thing we really try to stress when it comes to severe weather preparedness especially, and this applies to flooding as well, have a plan in place. It's nice to be able to listen to your weather radio or watch TV or watch the weather channel or whatever radio station you like to depend upon for weather information. We encourage people to do that. But let's face it, we don't always have time to be glued to the TV set. You know, when we have bad weather, we're busy with our lives. We have things going on. We just want people to understand what the threat is and when threatening weather arrives, because it will, know instantaneously what you need to do. If you're driving on the road, you know, and you're under a warning, you need to get off the road. You shouldn't be driving with the potential of damaging winds or the potential of a tornado in the area. If you're at home and you're watching TV, you probably should get to a basement or the the place that you think is the safest place in the house, which uh, could be the basement for some folks. Other folks that don't have a basement, maybe uh, under a stairwell, which is usually the most reinforced part of a house. Get to the lowest floor, get away from windows. These are the kinds of things that we would encourage people to do. If you're in a school or in a gymnasium, gymnasiums are really not a good place to be for tornadoes. Neither are mobile homes. We encourage people to get out of those places and get into safer places. Mobile homes, obviously, they're, they can be death traps during tornadoes. Hopefully, in a mobile home court, you have a community storm shelter that you can go to in, in the event of a severe storm or tornado gymnasium, for example, or a church, for example, with a very high ceiling that doesn't have a lot of support for that that higher ceiling, you want to get out of that space and get into a, perhaps a bathroom or a hallway or something like that, that that offers a little more protection. What are the best ways for Missourians to receive accurate and timely weather updates in the event of severe weather? When you have severe weather strike, there's a number of ways. You know, we don't try to claim that one is perfect over another. Certainly, NOAA Weather Radio is a great way to get the very latest in warnings for your area. But also, uh, TV, most of the TV stations across Missouri will break in during severe weather events and let you know where the greatest threat is. Radio stations, uh, some radio stations are very good about keeping their listeners abreast of the latest in severe weather warnings and watches. You know, we don't really think about it much, but the cell phone that you might happen to be carrying around with you is often a very good way to get the latest, especially tornado warnings. There's a a relatively new program called uh, WEA, Wireless Emergency Alerts, and every cell phone has that built into it, uh, the new ones anyway. The way this works is that when a tornado warning is issued for your county, with whatever cell phone tower that you are using, if that tower happens to be within the polygon of a tornado warning, you will get a message on your cell phone saying you are under a tornado warning until this time. Take preventive action right now because it worked on my phone. It was, and it took me totally by surprise. I, Even though I work for the Weather Service, I have days off, and there was one day I was not even thinking about the potential of severe weather. I was trying to drive to the airport to pick up my wife and kids, and I, just as I was leaving the house and, and driving up the hill to get out of the neighborhood, my phone went ballistic, and I, I looked at it and said, yeah, you're under a tornado warning. Take cover now. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting because it didn't look that bad where I was at the time. But I went ahead, turned around, went back to the house, went inside, took care of my cats. Sure enough, we had a, a pretty good storm move through within about 10 minutes. And when I went to the airport to pick up my wife and kids, we saw tornado damage. 
on the way to the airport. It had touched down in the vicinity of uh, 364 in Junkerman in St. Charles County. So pay attention to those things. They are a very good tool to getting the word out, especially for tornado warnings. But for other kinds, for severe thunderstorm warnings or other types of warnings we have, yeah, like I said, you know, try to keep in touch with your favorite TV station that you know does a good job of getting those warnings on the air or radio stations that may do the same. No Weather Radio, a great resource as well. Thank you for listening to this flooding episode of MoCast, and a special thank you to both of our guests, Karen McHugh and Mark Fuchs. If you want to listen to more MoCast, head on over to SoundCloud and be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever podcasts are found. And if you want to keep up with what is happening in Missouri state government, you can visit the state's homepage, mo.gov. That's mo.gov.